If you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've been looking at John and we've seen that over and over again, John is talking about belief. And so as we come into the third chapter and we make our way towards that famous verse, John 3.16, where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he speaks of those who believe in him not perishing, right? What we have seen over and over again is that John is desiring that we would all believe. In fact, we saw early on, we, we went all the way to the end of the book and realized that the whole purpose of the book of John is to cause us to believe in Jesus and to have life in his name. And last week we saw that a large number of people believed in his name, but that instead of being excited and rejoicing, John says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in man. And so this week, we come to the discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have been one of those men who had believed. So The context sets up this conversation. In that context of there being many people who had believed, but that Jesus wasn't entrusting himself to them, in other words, that there was something faulty in their belief, That's the context in which Nicodemus comes at night to have a discussion with Jesus. <clears throat> and during that conversation that they have that's recorded for us, Jesus outlines the nature of true belief. So we've been, we've been told, believe, believe, believe. A bunch of people believed, but it wasn't, wasn't proper belief. And then Jesus outlines the nature of true belief, and it's kind of shocking. Because what Jesus says is he talks about flesh and spirit. He talks about water and wind. He talks about birth and rebirth. And if it wasn't for the harsh, anti-go-with-the-flow nature of what he says. You might think that you were reading some sort of New Age mystic spiritualist gunk, right? You know, wind and water and spirit and... But, but Jesus doesn't put it together into some sort of loosey-goosey, feel-goody kind of stuff. Instead, he brings these things together, and we see the nature of true religion. And it's stark. It's stark in its contrast to New Age mysticism. It's stark in its contrast to the belief that all of these people had in him. It's stark in its condemnation of Nicodemus and his wrong understanding, even as a leader and teacher 
of God's people, the Jews at that time. Those who had the Old Testament and him being one of their teachers. And so what we find this morning is that our natural position is not just, as we saw last week, having wicked hearts. But our natural position is needing, having a need that's so deep that something has to be fundamentally changed about us. Something at our very core, our very nature, must be changed. It's so fundamental that Jesus describes it as being born again. It's that formative. Theologians speak of it as regeneration. Generation being the start, the beginning, right? And regeneration meaning a rebirth, a recreation of who we are from our very nature. And as we will see, this is not something that we can accomplish ourselves. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Truly, truly. Jesus says, truly, truly. Nicodemus comes to him, believing in the same way as everybody else, right? Just got done reading that many of the people had believed. And so Nicodemus comes, presumably believing that same way. Nicodemus comes believing... And basically, he says, we know who God is. We know you're from God because you've got these miraculous signs that prove you're from God. 
But what's the problem? Well, it's hard to it's hard to get a feel for for you you've heard this you've heard this text so many times probably most of you. It's hard to get a feel for how shocking Jesus' first response to Nicodemus is once you're used to it. But think about responding that way. Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you. What has Nicodemus said? All Nicodemus has said is, okay, we know you're from God. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. And what? What does he begin to talk about? He begins to talk about the kingdom of God. Why would he talk about the kingdom of God with Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus is a lot like us. Nicodemus faces a lot of the same inclinations, temptations, sinful desires that we face, right? After all, he was a man. So what can we expect is true about Nicodemus? Well, we can expect that just like us, he's looking for something other than what Jesus is offering. He's looking for something other than what is being offered. Something far less valuable. Something of our fleshly lusts. Not a replacement of our desires with new ones. And that's what Jesus is offering. A replacement of our desires with new ones. And that's not just what he's offering, it's what he's requiring. It's what he demands in this statement, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, what? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's probably a safe bet that Nicodemus wanted to talk to Jesus about the kingdom of God. But what would the kingdom of God mean? What would the kingdom mean to Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus is one of these men who was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Why? Because he believed that there would be a Messiah. He was a leader, a teacher, of the law, right? And so here he is. He's devout. Unlike the Sadducees, the Pharisees were devout. They actually cared about religion. And what do they want? They want the kingdom restored. They've lost the kingdom to Rome. 
What they want is out from under Rome. They want the kingdom reestablished. They want the kingship. They want the new king. They want the king, the pro- this, this, this eternal king that they've read about in the Old Testament. The one who will, whose reign will be established forever and ever. This is what the Pharisees wanted, okay? So when Nicodemus comes and he says, we know you're from God. This is like, this is good news, right? But Nicodemus comes at night in secret. Why? Well, is it okay just to guess? Why would he come at night? Well, you could put positive and negative spin on it, but listen, Jesus was not particularly popular among the Pharisees. Why wasn't Jesus popular? Because he was not meeting the expectations. He was not fulfilling the desires of the fleshly lusts of man. He had something completely other Not just something else, something other. Something different, outside of our realm of comprehension, naturally. Something unlike what we want in our fleshly lusts. What did they want? They wanted earthly power. They wanted prestige. They wanted vengeance on Rome. They wanted all kinds of things that they thought a proper king would bring. But what they had done is they had misunderstood what the promise, what this promised one truly was. What sort of king he was to be. And so Jesus shatters Nicodemus' expectations, blows up our very world of fleshly desires by saying, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Think about how that would, how that would fly in the face of everything that Nicodemus is there seeking, Right? see the kingdom of God. Isn't everybody going to see the kingdom of God? Isn't it going to be made clear to all of the world? Aren't all of the Jews going to be receiving the benefit of it? Nicodemus undoubtedly is looking to Jesus to tell him what's going to happen with the kingdom. What's, when is the kingdom going to be restored? And Jesus jumps in, jumps right into the conversation by denying the kingdom of God to everybody, so far as Nicodemus is concerned. Because why? Because how can anyone be born again? 
You see? It's not just, it's not just that it's going to be hard. It's not just, Nicodemus is like completely flummoxed. He's totally lost. The first thing Jesus says to him is, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, And you can tell he's completely, he's completely lost because of what he says. His response is, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? And be born again? It doesn't make any sense. So what is Nicodemus doing? Well, Nicodemus is thinking in the continuation of his fleshly desires, right? He's thinking in a fleshly way. Jesus has <clears throat> denied him his fleshly desires by saying, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But he's left him hanging. Curious, wondering if there's a way for him to get still what he wants. Okay, so kingdom, I'd like the I'd like the kingdom of God. So let's go after this rebirth thing for just a second. That sounds impossible. <laughs> I know I just got done saying you're from God, but what are you talking about? Born again? And so Nicodemus bites, right? And he asks the question. Surely not. That's, that's not really possible, is it? Jesus responds with the same thing again. Truly, 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 truly. That gets your attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he repeats himself, and he begins to give an explanation. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now this is not, this is not a body equals bad, spirit equals good, kind of thing that Jesus is going into here, okay? That's Gnosticism. And the reason you can tell that's not what Jesus is teaching here is because if it was our, our souls, our spirits are good, and our bodies, our physical, our flesh here was bad, right, then we wouldn't need to be reborn, 
in a spiritual sense, right? When he says born of the Spirit, we need to now be born of the Spirit. If our spirit was already good and it was just our body that was bad, then the solution would be either get rid of the body somehow or ignore it and focus on the good that you already have, which is the spirit. But instead, our spirit itself is, is bad. It, it needs to be recreated. It needs to be regenerated. All of us is the problem. And so when Jesus is talking about that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, he's talking about all of us, our whole being. And what Jesus is doing is he's demanding that we see our natural state as fundamentally incompatible with the new nature that he offers us by his spirit. Fundamentally incompatible. Who we are, apart from Jesus Christ, is unable to jive with this alternate being, this, this other way of living. They're at odds with one another. And the kingdom of God is inaccessible to us unless we have that new nature, that new nature that's incompatible with who we are to start with. And therefore, incompatible with the desires that we have to start with. See, those fleshly desires that, that Nicodemus has, all of that stuff, that, all those hopes and expectations that he has about what the kingdom is going to be like and what it's going to give to him, have to be dashed at the same time. They have, to be, they have to be thrown out at the same time as he receives a new birth. Because at that new birth, he is changed from flesh to spirit. And so the kingdom of God can't be grasped. It's completely inaccessible to us. In fact, we can't even see it. We can't understand what it truly is unless the Spirit has rebirthed us, regenerated us, to give us the ability. Unless we have been reborn, we cannot see, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why? Well, because we are fleshly and not spiritual, apart from God changing us. It's 
This whole concept is explored much more in depth by Paul in Romans 7 and 8. I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 8, starting in verse 5. He says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Fundamentally incompatible. That which is of the flesh is flesh. That which is of the spirit is spirit. Those who are of the spirit delight in the law of God. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Why? Because their desires are fleshly. So if we need to be born again, if you're Nicodemus, and you realize you're starting to get an inkling of how majorly wrong your theology has been recently. All right? You're starting to get an inkling of how even what you want is wrong and needs to be changed. So that you want different things. Okay? What are you going to say? You're going you're gonna to come back to the same question again. Okay, so how? Jesus says not to be amazed, not to be shocked. How could our very nature be changed? Well, only by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, have to be born of water and the Spirit. Now, what is that water? It symbolizes the cleansing of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here in this area, it's important that we note that uh, even if Jesus is referring specifically to baptism, which it doesn't appear that he is, okay, it, it, it more looks like he is uh, equating the Holy Spirit with the work of the Holy Spirit here. Okay? The water of washing. 
even if, though, he is talking about baptism, what he's not saying is that baptism itself regenerates us. You understand why that's important? Around here, we have a lot of people who are confused about that, whether they're part of the Church of Christ or whether they're part of the Roman Catholic Church, thinking that the outcome of washing ourselves in physical water can guarantee the work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating us, in giving us this new birth. This, of course, is exactly the opposite of the whole point that Jesus is making here. That is a continuation of fleshly thinking. And that's why Jesus continues on saying, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so anyone who thinks <clears throat> that they understand how and why the Holy Spirit regenerates somebody, gives them new life such that their desires change, such that their very life is converted from one type of person to another type of person, incompatible with the first, starting out hating God, ending loving God, starting out hating his commands, ending up loving his commands, starting out spirit, physical, fleshly lusts, ending with the fruit of the spirit, okay? Anyone who thinks they understand how and why God does that is completely rejecting the Holy Spirit in the work of our regeneration and thereby is completely rejecting regeneration itself. Why do I say that? Well, because you cannot talk about being born again. You cannot talk about regeneration without confessing that this is not of us. This is not something that it's possible for us to do to ourselves. When you talk about a politician remaking himself, that's a completely different process than what we're seeing here, right? Because that is a rehabilitation in the eyes of others of who he is in his uh, reputation, right? But what we're talking about here is a complete shift, a complete change, not a shift, a, a remaking from the ground up, internally, not simply for appearance's sake in the eyes of man. And so when Jesus says you don't know where it comes from and where it is going, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's what he's saying. You can't know. You can't know why the Holy Spirit regenerated somebody. 
That is the Holy Spirit's prerogative. The Holy Spirit's choice. All you can see is the effects. Like the wind. It comes. You don't know where it came from. You feel it. You see its effects. And then it's gone and you don't know where it's going. And so this is part of why we're supposed to not be amazed at it. Not be shocked at it. But that's not, that doesn't sound very, that's, that's not what we thought about how it should work. Jesus, he says, don't be amazed that I say you have to be born again. Don't be amazed that I, that I say that God must work in you to change you. For many of us, <clears throat> the temptation today is not to uh, the, the temptation today is to make light of regeneration because we don't want people to have to. Uh, examine themselves. We don't want people to have to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. We don't want people to doubt their salvation. We don't want people to struggle with their faith. And so what we say to them is, you've been baptized into the church of Jesus Christ. You are a part of the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus says, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do you see how important that is? We can't put our hope for ourselves or for our children, for our neighbors, our loved ones, in the fact that they have joined themselves somehow to some sort of external manifestation of the kingdom of God by becoming a part of some church somewhere, through baptism or simply through showing up every Sunday. Do you see how opposite that is of having a changed nature? Do you see how many potential fleshly lusts there are that lead us that direction? This is why when I was studying church history and I was reading about Constantine making Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire back in 357 AD, long time ago, right? Constantine's the emperor. He makes Christianity the official religion. And I'm like, no, don't do it! Why? Why would, I, why would I feel that way? Well, because what that did immediately was introduce a whole host of new fleshly lusts that would cause people to want to, quote-unquote, be Christians that had nothing to do with being reborn. It would introduce 
many, many tares into the church. False fruit, false plants, not of God, into the visible church, right? Was Constantine wrong to do that? No, I, I actually don't think he was, but it's, it's, such a, it's such a difficult thing to get people to see that simply believing in the way that Nicodemus believed, well, yeah, I mean, I want good things. God is good. God has the power to give good things. Jesus was good. I believe Jesus. Jesus was from God. Yay! We're all Christians. No. Have you been reborn? Unless you have been born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so you can understand through the way I've been talking about the kingdom of God that, that Jesus is not talking about heaven. Okay? Yeah, he, yeah, the kingdom of God includes heaven. But we're, we're more along the lines of talking about Jesus' prayer that he teaches us Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does his kingdom come? Is it by ending this world? Ultimately, yes. Ultimately, it is by remaking this world. But his kingdom comes first, here and now, in the lives of those who have been reborn, and made part of his body, made part of his church through that process. So have you received this gift? This gift of God breathing on you and giving you new life. giving you his spirit. Why? Why did you receive that gift if you received that gift? Is it because you suddenly realized that you needed that gift? No, the giving of that gift is what allows you to comprehend how amazing it is. And what should your response be? Well, if Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God here on earth, think about the beauty of what you've been given for here and now. Okay? If you have been reborn to newness of life, what does that mean for you right now? Not what does that mean for you in five years, ten years, eighty years, or whenever it is that you're going to die. And then you can be like, and then I'll live in heaven. 
okay, good, true. That's proper understanding of what God teaches about salvation, that it does lead ultimately to heaven. But does it not lead to anything here and now? Does it not mean any change in your life until that point? If you have been reborn, you have had your desires changed. Does this mean that all of your fleshly lusts are suddenly gone? No, but it does mean that you want them to go away. That you're not content to simply live with those that remaining fleshly man that's in you. Again, if you want to read more about this, start at the beginning of Romans and just read until you get through chapter 8. But this morning... Think about here and now. Think about among us what it means that you have been reborn. His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Living a sanctified and holy life. Not grieving the Holy Spirit. All of these things flow out of that changed nature. And you can't possibly hope to start that work without that change having taken place in you in the first place. And here's the other thing. You can't even want that work without him having changed you in the first place. Because that which is of the flesh is of the flesh. And if your desire is that there would be the fruit of the Spirit in you, That is a spiritual desire, not a fleshly desire. And you say, well, no, of course somebody could could want that. Say, could they? Could somebody want... their nature had been changed. That which is born of the flesh is of the flesh. That which is born of the spirit is of the spirit. If you've not received this gift, pray to God eyes to see, for ears to hear, and above all, for a new heart. And now you say, well, you're contradicting yourself, you idiot. 
why would anyone pray for that if they didn't if they couldn't want it? And I say, how does the spirit work? Do you know? Do you understand? The wind blows where it wants, when it wants. It goes where it goes. Job 28. We read this wonderful passage about wisdom. read it to you as I close here. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where, then, does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living, and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it. God understands its way, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it, and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. And so to all of us this morning, I close with this. Do you lack wisdom? Ask of God. gracious, he does not find fault, will give to all generously. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding. And that's what every one of us here has to do this morning in response to understanding God changes our very nature. And he gives us newness of life and he uses his spirit to rebirth us, to regenerate us, to fundamentally alter who we are Wisdom demands, fear 
obey him. So let us go out in peace, seeking to obey him.